about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her, hand, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the desert in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, And then we're going to turn to John chapter 1. Verses 19, and that's on page 860. John 1 from verse 19 through to 34. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Good evening, friends. Happy New Year. It's great to be with you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or you're visiting or you're online and I can't see you, welcome. Great to have you here. 
Uh, it is just so good to be in church together. There's a fresh feeling of Christmas in the air on New Year's Day, hopes, dreams, possibilities, all kinds of things. The turning of a calendar is a really wonderful thing. I don't know if you've made resolutions today of any sort or any type, uh, but that's the season for this sort of thing. And resolutions, I think, bring out a really interesting thing in our culture. We have uh, a very deep repertoire of self-help gurus and techniques and a whole variety of things. Uh, and kind of New Year's resolution plays into that kind of big plethora in our culture. But when you think a bit about that part of our culture, that kind of self-help uh, uh, enabling to find the better you kind of literature. There's all kinds of things to notice about it. There's a really interesting article, it's from the New Yorker, it's from a few years back now, Improving Ourselves to Death. Uh, Alexandra, in this one, she walks through a whole bunch of the different self-help gurus and considers their life hacks and what you have it. And, and her diagnosis is actually that all of these, th this way of doing self-help tells us a lot about who we are as a culture and what we're trying to do. She says this, uh, people, uh, we're living in an age of perfectionism, and perfection is the idea that kills us. People are suffering and dying under the torture of the fantasy self they're failing to become. So there's all these ideas about how to become the better you, and all of us have kind of taken them inside ourselves and have before us the better you we want to be, but we really struggle to get there, and that is actually killing us slowly, painfully. This um, was also brought home to me once when I was in a bookstore in America, and they relabeled the self-help section as self-transformation, which was both audacious and truthful, right? Because that's what these books are about, about how you, in the power you have within yourself, being able to transform yourself for the better, self-transformation. Well, today, uh, as we're just going to continue through the book of John for the next three or four weeks in January, I have... Probably not a life hack coach for you. He's probably the least likely person imaginable to help you with New Year's resolutions. He's locusts covered in camel hair. He is John the Baptist. He's kind of the antithesis of anyone who would ever be given a book deal or would be invited to a TED Talk, right? This is John the Baptist wandering around in the wilderness, summoning people back to God. And yet I think actually he kind of sinks the whole self-help culture with the advice he gives us today. He gives us a whole different set of compass bearings on how to begin your new year and maybe some ways to actually think about what newness might look like for you in light of who Jesus is, not in light of what is inside you. Okay. So if you li listen to him today, I think he'll rattle you up a little bit if you're sleeping and, and, and get you to focus for this year that's coming. So I've got four things, four kind of compass bearings today, uh, four life hacks, if you like, for your new year from John the Baptist. First one is this, we stand on the cusp of Jesus coming. Now, John the Baptist uh, in the Bible is in a really interesting position. He is the last prophet before Jesus comes. He is the last voice you hear before you meet the Messiah. And he has a very particular position on the cusp, on the just before things happen. And so he's a voice summoning us that everything is about to change and to live in light of that. So as you go to chapter 1, verse 19, what you see is John is going about his ministry. We don't hear much about that. And some leaders in Jerusalem hear about it, and they send some people to investigate, I would say interrogate, John. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Who are you? This is full on, actually, because he has gone rogue. He's some random in the desert eating locusts preaching to people. 
the people in Jerusalem want to know what's up with that and who, who are you and what's happening. Are you so insignificant? But he says, well, I'm not the Messiah. So they ask him, well, are you Elijah then? He says, well, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you the prophet then? They ask, well, I'm not the prophet. These are all kind of uh, images and people in the Old Testament prophesied to be coming just before the Christ comes. In Malachi 4, the prophet Elijah comes before the day of the Lord. Or Deuteronomy 18, there will be a prophet like me, like Moses from among you who will rise up. So they're asking, are you Elijah like Malachi 4? Are you the prophet of Deuteronomy 18? And he says, no, 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 no. I'm none of these things. But all of these are interesting because they're all people just before the Messiah. Now, the interrogation isn't going well. And they say to him, listen, we need an answer. Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you, what do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet we read just before, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. In Isaiah 40, those beginning verses, the glory of the Lord is about to appear, and just before the glory appears, there's a voice in the desert summoning people to return to God before the glory appears. The voice from the cusp. And what's the voice saying? Make straight the way for the Lord. Remove the obstacles. Remove the things that are in the way. Take seriously that he is coming and act. That's the voice of John the Baptist. That's the voice that he was before the, the first coming of Jesus. But he's still a voice to us as we await the second coming of Jesus. He will come again. And we are once again on the cusp of his coming. It might be this year. And John summons to us again from the cusp. Make straight the way for the Lord. You see, living on the cusp of things should give us some perspective. It should give us a sense of what is actually should be a priority and what shouldn't be. It should give us urgency towards some things that matter more than other things. It should summon to us that there are some desires and actions and thoughts that are better left in last year and not brought into this one. It summons us to act, to respond, to get rid of the things that if we were to meet Jesus today, we wouldn't want around us and near us and before us. John summons people to return to God. It's interesting to think, what would this look, how would this actually shift your resolutions for this year? How would it calibrate your goals? What kind of things would it add or subtract from who you're becoming and who you want to be? Being on the cusp of things should bring about some sense of what we want to be moving toward and away from. John the Baptist's ministry in the end was a summons to repentance, to turn away from things in order to turn toward the Lord. What do you need to resolve to turn away from, to make straight the way for the imminent coming of Jesus? That's the first thing John says, is, is great upper. The second thing he gives us is this, that actually one of the, the, the key things we need this year, in 2023, is to grow a sense of the glory of Jesus. I love, in John's testimony, in this beginning part of the gospel, how clear he is on how majestic and magnificent and wonderful Jesus is. Right? The, the interrogation continues. These guys aren't great. They have another question. Because John is John the Baptist. He's baptizing people, pushing them into the water, pulling them back up again. 
And that was something that not many people did in this kind of era. Often you did it to Gentiles who were coming into the Jewish faith to cleanse them. Perhaps not everyone did, occasionally. But to baptize Jews was odd. No one did that. And for him to be doing this and to be preaching about the coming of the day of the Lord, they're wondering, why are you doing this? What's this about? Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? If you're not one of these big figures of the ones coming, then what authority do you actually have? What's the purpose of your baptism? Now, in every other gospel, the way it's described is that the baptism is for repentance and forgiveness, but not in John's gospel. In John's gospel, John baptizes to reveal Jesus. It's really interesting. See what happens. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose Birkenstocks, I mean sandals, I'm not worthy to untie. And again, after he's seen Jesus. This is the one I meant when I said, speaking of Jesus, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason, the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Get this. The reason why John is baptizing people is not for their sake, actually. The reason why John has a ministry of baptism is that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. Something about his ministry that will show who Jesus is. He is this one walking among the Israelites, the Jewish people, and yet he is someone who... John considers he's not even worthy to, to undo their sandals. Uh, in, in ancient culture, the only person who could undo sandals was a slave. Even if you were a pupil of a master, you basically had to do everything for that master, but you were not, never permitted to undo their sandals because that would be demeaning. So for John to say that I'm not worthy to take a slave's position and unhook these Birkenstocks, you know, he's speaking of the, the utter worthiness of Jesus, the utter unsurpassing glory of the eternal word of the Father, the one through whom all things are made, the, the Son of God, the one who you can never think too much of, the one who is so infinitely above who we are and what we have. The reason why John comes baptizing is to reveal the glory of Jesus because everyone needs to grow a sense of it a deep and wonderful sense of his utter majesty. And if there's one thing you could resolve this year, it will be to have at the end of the year a better sense of the worthiness of Jesus. At the end of, uh, a bit later in John's gospel, John, as his ministry is going downhill and Jesus is ascending, has this wonderful thing he says. He says, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. This was the trajectory of their ministries, right? John is going to die before Jesus fulfills his ministry and Jesus will become greater. John will become unknown. But what a wonderful resolution. I'm not talking about self-demeaning pity or anything like that, pushing yourself down. What I'm talking about is having such a high sense of who he is that we are put in perspective. That actually having a sense that he, he and our esteem of him is growing over time and not just our esteem of our, ourselves. Think about this seriously for a second. What, what is something you could do this year that might mean by the end of the year that you have a greater sense of who he is? 
I've got one simple one this year. Really simple. I started, I did it today. Hooray, one from 365. It's just to make sure I read my physical Bible before I touch my digital phone. Simple as that. Simple as that. Uh, and yet, I've found the creep of just digital kind of coming in more and more earlier and earlier. But I have a hunch that if I start there first, not even my digital Bible, my physical Bible, away from the other things of life, there's a chance for my heart in the morning to grow a sense of his glory before I face the other things of the day. And maybe if every day I have a sense of his glory, maybe over the year he'll become greater and I'll become less. You know, what kind of habit could you take on that might establish this in you? Maybe it's the habit of keeping the Lord's day, of keeping the Sabbath and coming to church every week and growing a sense of his splendor in this wonderful space as we sing God's praises together. One thing you desperately need this year is a greater sense of his glory. But as we talk about resolutions and making them and we know we won't keep them, we know we'll fail, that will happen, that's okay. You know, the wonderful thing that John says about Jesus, as he sees Jesus walk past one day, is that we can know that Jesus has, has borne our sin, borne your sin away. Look, look what John says about Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a majestic sentence. Look, attend, pay attention. This matters. Here's a vital thing I need to tell you about this one coming toward me right now. It's not a lamb of God, one of, one of many, the lamb from God. A provision, the provision of God, of a lamb, a sacrificial offering, blood that can be spilled, a a life that can end. The life that will end, who will take away the sin of the world, who will bear the sin on our shoulders out into the desert for us, who will toss it to the bottom of the sea and tread it underfoot, who will wash it white as snow, who will bear it away forever. Look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. If there's nothing else you take from this sermon, take this verse away. Because there's every chance that, that through the last few years of the pandemic, you built up habits of things that you wish you hadn't. And that even heading into this year, you're just glad to get away from some things that happened last year. Can I just tell you definitively that the things you feel ashamed about, the things you feel addicted to, the things you feel guilty about, have been borne away. You know, the click over of a calendar doesn't actually do anything. I'm sorry to break that to you. But the Lamb of God does everything we long for on this day. He clicks it over clean. He bears it away. He's broken the power of the things that bind us. He's brought us into the light away from shame. He's forgiven our sin. You are fresh and clean today, friend. Know that. And may that give you courage, actually, to not fear failing, to not fear attempting things, to not, uh, you know, shirk back from making radical decisions about your life. The, The biggest thing has been dealt with. Even if you fall back into patterns, it's dealt with. It's done. 
You can take risks even and fail in the name of Jesus knowing he's already borne your sins away. Perhaps there's a freedom that this gives us to live life well, to really choose to live life in a way that God might love, knowing that we've, this is all done and dealt with. He's borne your sin away. What a hack. What a great power to live in, into a new year. There's one more thing, and this is my favorite of the passage. Know that he, Jesus, can change things that you or we, we cannot. This is the actual absolute kind of summit of what John wants to say about Jesus in this passage. This is the, where the baptism and Jesus all kind of come together in one clear, coherent point. How does John's ministry of baptism reveal Jesus to Israel? Well, it all comes in this final part where we get his testimony. Then John gave, after seeing Jesus, saying he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he gives this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the center of John's ministry, to testify to this unique event that he got an insight to that no one else got to. Because John is in the, in the desert baptizing people. Jesus comes to be baptized. And as he's baptized, the Spirit comes down upon him like a dove. But notice all the commentary around this. It's amazing. You don't get this in any other gospel. The one who sent me, right? How's this for the interrogation? The one who sent me. He's talking about God. God sent me, guys. The one who sent me told me, when the Spirit comes down on someone, that person will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John's testifying to this whole stream of events. I was sent into the desert, told to go baptize, that the Spirit would come down, and on that one, that would be the one. That would be the chosen one. And they were baptized with God's Spirit. I love this idea of baptism in God's Spirit. It's wonderful. It's a picture of a renewal and a remaking that no self-help guide can give you. It's a power that's not within us. It's the power of the Almighty God. And Jesus is the chosen one who will pour out God's Spirit on anyone who is willing to receive a radical remaking and renewal, to become their best self. You see, the problem with every self-help guide and guru and life hack and whatever is that they're all self-invented ideas about human perfection, driven by self-invented plans of how to get there with self-power. They all have this idea that we actually know how to get the best life. But we don't. What we need is God's design through God's Son in the power of God's Spirit to live life driven by the way He would want us to. You know, later in John's Gospel, Jesus speaks about water again and the Spirit in this profound moment. He, he stands up in chapter 7, at, at a big festival in Jerusalem and, and yells out to the crowd this wonderful thing. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow 
from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This is, this is Jesus' own interpretation of what baptism in the Spirit means in the end. It means broken, thirsty, unfulfilled people coming in the, the parchedness of their spiritual thirst and receiving God's Spirit. And notice what, it's not just like the Spirit quenches your thirst, did you notice? It becomes a river of living water from within you. It becomes a well of water. It becomes its own supply of water that flows outward. There's a picture of absolute abundance and overflow of life. See, this is the kind of power you need in the new year. This is the kind of power that only Jesus can give. And isn't it wonderful that on New Year's Day you don't have to come with a deep, sure sense of what you can achieve this year. You have to come thirsty. Thirsty. Unsure. Not sure what you can do with yourself in the year to come that is better or bigger or if you can free yourself of anything. Because in the end, he can change us in ways we cannot even dream. With power we can't even imagine. With an abundance of his Holy Spirit within us. Frank, I urge you today to take this year with the compass of knowing that you live on the cusp of his coming. So grow a sense of his glory and know that he's borne your sin away already. So come to him thirsty, asking for power to change you and remake you. Let's pray. Father, we come today sure of the promise of Jesus who said that whoever comes thirsty will receive. Whoever comes, knowing they're forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, can receive living water that will become a well of life within them. Father, we come thirsty today, asking for fresh power that might realign us, remake us, renew us. And help us walk that straight path until the coming of Jesus again. Father, by your spirit today, just remind gently every heart in the room that the sin is dealt with. The chains are broken. You have freed your people by the blood of your Lamb. Help us live in the power of the Son and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.